Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Good morning, Humanity Church. How you doing? Good morning to everyone online with us today as well. Uh, I'm excited to be here, to be back. Last week I was uh, off in a training and so excited to be here with all of you again. Uh, And it's a beautiful day. It's a very, very beautiful day. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we just are so grateful for who you are and what you have not just offered us, but you have like you have bought it and paid for it and freely given it to us in an abundant way. And God, I thank you that we are never left without. We are never left without resources. We're never left without a way out. We're never left without a way in. We're never left without exactly what we need in the moment. And God, I thank you for the like abundant life that you call us into. I ask that you would continue to grow and move and stretch us, God, that you would call us to become the women and men that you dream for us to be, God. May we hear your voice and respond and just revel in how good you are. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we have... Three more Sundays in this building, which is kind of crazy and wild and everything. And um, if you, including today, so as of today, next week we'll have two Sundays. And uh, if you only knew what was happening behind the scenes right now, uh, you would go probably go crazy. And we are we are both equal parts excited and thrilled and prepping and getting ready uh, for for what's next. And I believe that this move for Humanity Church is not uh, happenstance. Yeah, you know how some things that happens in life and you're just like, oh, I guess that just happened, right? Like, I guess that was just a move. I really believe that this is a moment for us that God has ordained. That wasn't just like, oh, we're responding to a crisis, but that God ordained it. And I know it's easy for pastors to kind of put a positive spin on things. If you know me, that's generally not my my go-to, although I tend to have Enneagram 7 tendencies, so that is my go-to, but that's not my go-to as a leader. And I actually am starting to get excited about all the possibilities that God's calling us into in this next season. So here's what I want to challenge us as a community to do. And I'm going to challenge specifically those of you who are joining us online today and who are joining us uh, this week as you're re-watching this gathering, is that I'm going to ask that all of us commit to be here on our last Sunday, which is September 26th. That that Sunday would be a Sunday where we come together and we remember all that God has done in this place and we make that like a memorial moment. I know many of you online that I've talked to, uh, some of you have to stay home because you're immunocompromised and things like that or unvaccinated and feel like this isn't a space for you. But I know I've talked to a lot of people, and let's just be honest, people are like, I've just, go, I've just got comfortable watching my pajamas. And that's okay, right? 
that's, that's what we have online for as well. And I'm going to encourage you, hey, if you're like one of those people that, that have been thinking, maybe I should get back, or I don't know when the time is, I want you to join us. There's plenty of space to social distance. There's masking. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a safe space here uh, for those of you who can physically come. So I'm going to encourage you to be here on September 26th as we, uh, as we say goodbye to this place. But here's what I'm going to also ask for us to start thinking through, praying through, engaging now is what is October 3rd going to look like? And I'm going to ask that we as a community not leave that up to chance, that we not leave that like, I guess we'll just see what happens October 3rd, but but we really see this move that October 3rd, when we launch at the Fox Theater, that it is a declaration to the city, to the region, that we are here and that we are alive and well, and that the the gates of hell cannot come against the church, that that's what we're up to. And so I'm going to ask, like we prayed and fasted for what's next for our community, that we would start looking towards that date of this new, fresh movement, this new expression of Humanity Church, at least on Sundays, and that we would start thinking through who needs to be there, who would want to be there, who who would enjoy stepping into that space. It was amazing when we first moved into the Fox Theater, how many people just showed up because they wanted to see the inside of the Fox Theater. (laughs) So hey, use that as whatever you need to in engaging people over the next few days. But mark your calendar for those of you who are here, for those of you who are joining us online, September 26th and October 3rd. Those are going to be really pivotal dates for our community, and I would love for you to be a part of us as we transition into that space. Well, this week and next week, uh, we get to talk about whatever we want, which is great. And so I love to just being able to share what God's put on my heart for our community and what's next for where we're at. You know, as a, as a pastor, as a coach, as a trainer, I get the privilege of, of talking with uh, sometimes hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people a month, depending on the month. This month, it'll definitely be a thousand. And I get to talk to a lot of people about where they're at in their lives and what's going on with them and and what's next and where they're headed to and what their vision is. And I find that there is actually this gap between the type of people that I talk to in the world. There are those who are leaning into the life that they desire, the life that they're called to, the future that they know that they are made for. And there's this active stance of leaning into that, of stepping into that of saying, what is it going to take to have this happen for me and the people around my life? And there are those who simply want it. There's a difference between the two, between sitting back and saying, yeah, I'd really like to have this type of life. I really want it. And it would be nice to have that. And those who are actively leaning into it, pressing into it, saying, this is what I'm about. This is where I'm moving towards. Or they have given up altogether for what they're made for. They've just decided that that's not possible. It's not, they're not capable of it. It's never going to happen, so why even try? And so we find ourselves settling at times for second best in life. And when I say settling, what I'm not saying is like settling for the career or the finances or the car or whatever it may be. I'm actually talking about the more important things, like settling for despair or settling for a sense of purposelessness or settling for a sense of existence or just settling for apathy. Those are the things that actually erode the human spirit. And so there is, a, there is a marked difference between those who are actually pursuing the life and the future that they were designed for and those who have decided that that's not available to them. And what I love about the scriptures, it's one of the reasons why I keep being drawn back into the truth of the scriptures, is that the scriptures are always in the context of life and relationships, 
They're not just some philosophical framework through which we can see the world, although that exists. It's always in the context of life and relationship and the future that we are called into, how we are to live and how we are to live with each other. I remember uh, a few years back, I, I got a, um, a backhanded compliment from someone uh, in our church, no longer in our church, but um, people tend to give backhanded compliments as Christians. They don't just give, they just don't give uh, what they're actually saying. It's usually couched in some nice language. And so they came up to me and they said, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know if you are like a biblical teacher or if you're just like a self-help guru. And I thought, okay, I see what you're saying here. And... Uh, and I said, well, here's the problem, is I actually don't know how to separate those two. Because when I read the scriptures, it actually tells you how to help yourself. When I read through the scriptures, it actually tells you, hey, here's how you move your relationships towards health. When I read through the scriptures, it actually tells you, hey, here's how you move your finances towards health. When I move, read through the scriptures, it actually says, here's how you move towards the lights of purpose and towards a life of hope and towards a life of freedom. I don't know how you diver, diver, divorce those from one another. See, because the thing that I found is actually that most self-help principles out there from people that are making billions of dollars on these principles are actually biblical principles that are just washed from the verse and text that they came from and sold as some new idea. The whole time, Jesus has been teaching them for free the whole time. So I'm like, hey, if you can get it for free, why not, right? Maybe I'm doing this wrong and we're not making enough money, but there's that, right? And so there's some powerful wisdom in here of how to actually live out the life that we were called to live, to step into the future that we were called to create. And there's this powerful moment in the life of Jesus, right before he's had this last supper with his disciples, and he goes out into this garden to pray. And it is literally the night before he is going to be executed by the Roman government on behalf of the Jewish people. And it says this in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32, it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to deeply, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if this hour might pass from him, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And it begins what we now know as Easter in this moment. Jesus is in this obviously incredibly emotional state where he is overwhelmed with sorrow, the scriptures say, to the point of almost dying, knowing what's coming, knowing the future that's coming for him of the cross that's essentially coming the next day. And what he does is he says, look, I need you, disciples, more now than ever. And what I need you to do is just simply stay awake and pray, right? Not, not like a really high bar set for them, right? He's, just, he's like, hey, what I need from you right now is to stay awake and to pray. 
right? He's not saying, what I need is a miracle. He doesn't say, I need you to do something fantabulous. He just says, I literally need you to keep your eyes open and to pray for me in this moment. Now, here's the thing. When I am overwhelmed, I am usually overwhelmed by a lot of externals. I don't know about you. But usually what overwhelms my life is things like my schedule and my finances and the things that need to get done and the things that haven't get done and the relationships that seem to be falling apart out there. Those are the things that overwhelm my life when I find myself in that space. But see, Jesus is overwhelmed by something completely different here in this moment. He is overwhelmed with what it would cost him to have this vision turn out. He's overwhelmed by the price tag that is attached to his mission on his life, to seek and to save the lost, to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth, to create a way for every single person in humanity to know and connect to God. And he is overwhelmed by that. He sees the gap between where he currently is on this Thursday evening and where he is heading the next day. And he sees the giant cost it's going to take to have it turn out. And this... This is such a critical place in life. And we've all found ourselves there at times. It's such a huge moment because this is often where life is either birthed from us or it is killed. It is the place where futures are created or they are shut down and we just go back to recycling the past. These are the moments that determine the texture of our lives, sometimes for decades to come. See, the question we have to ask ourselves is what do we do when we are faced with the overwhelming gap between our now and our future? Between where we are today and what it will take to actually have the future turn out that we long for. Now, I want to jump to what the disciples actually did here because these guys have given up a lot to follow Jesus I mean, Jesus essentially came to them, did usually often something very miraculous or spoke into their life in a very powerful way. Jesus had a reputation that preceded him, but he essentially walked up to these guys and says, leave everything and follow me. Now, I don't care who you are in this room. I don't care how devout you are. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how loud you sing in worship. I don't care how much you jump around and raise your hands. If Jesus came to you right now and said, leave everything, your spouse, your kids, your job, and follow me, I don't know how many of you would be like, sign me up, right? But these guys did that. They literally said, great, we're leaving everything. We are going with you. And Jesus had been, follow, had been traveling around with this group of 12 men for such a long time, and he had been predicting this moment. He had been predicting that this moment was going to happen. He had told them multiple times, look, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected. And he had just told them this at the dinner, like someone is about to kill me. So this is very obvious to him. And he has been preaching to them this whole time, look, you're going to have to lay your life down. You are going to have to release who you are and the life that you have in order to follow me and to step into the future that I have for you. He's essentially prepped them for this. You are going to give up everything. You are going to give up everything if you are going to follow me and experience the powerful future that is available to you through that. Now, he he had just told them that he was going to die. I mean, this, this moment at the Lord's Supper is kind of the last supper is kind of a very intense moment. Even if you look at the, like, Leonardo's painting of the Last Supper, it's like an intense scene where people are freaking out because Jesus has basically said, my body's about to be broken, my body's about to be spilt, and he basically tells Peter, you're going to deny me, and he says, one of you is going to betray me, and I'm going to be dead. 
So you would think in this moment, okay, this is go time, this is serious, this is really, really critical for where we're at here in this moment. And then Jesus takes them to the garden. He tells them, I am overwhelmed like I'm about to die right here and now based on my feelings. And what I need from you is to stay awake and to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone came to me, not just someone, a close friend, someone that I had admired and followed, someone that had invested in my life and said, hey, tomorrow I'm going to die and I'm overwhelmed. Would you be willing to stay awake and pray? At least in my fantasy version of myself, I would stay awake and pray. Yes? I mean, at least in my own like, self-flattering view. Yes, I'm like, however long you need me to stay awake, I will pray whatever you want me to pray. I will be here in this moment. And Jesus had this one request, stay awake and keep watch and pray. I need you more than ever. And what he is doing, he is inviting them into his suffering. He is saying, look, I, I'm going to get the brunt of this, but I need you to be with me in this. I need you to stay, stay awake, stay watch, and to suffer with me. And then Jesus returns and finds them all asleep. Now, uh, the scriptures are often quite tame in the language that they use, right? And I love how it's just like, could you not stay awake one hour? I imagine Jesus threw some F-bombs in this moment. I don't know. I just, I mean, that's, I just imagine the frustration, right? Of like, I asked you, I, you had one job, right? I'm over here sweating blood and you couldn't stay awake an hour, right? I don't know if you had too much wine or what's going on with you, but like the Christian version would be like, are you freaking kidding me, right? In this moment that he finds themselves in. And it's interesting how Jesus frames this because he actually tells them to watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. Why would he use temptation in this moment? Because I don't know about you, but when, when I think of temptation, I don't think of like the temptation of falling asleep, right? <laughs> That's not really a temptation, I think there's like, when I think of temptation, I think the biggies, right? Like, like the temptation to have sex with someone or the temptation to be like wasted and get drunk and drive or the temptation to fight someone or the temptation to gossip or the temptation to slander. Like those seem to be the temptation, temptations that come up in my mind, at least like biggies when I'm thinking about what I'm going to be tempted by. But Jesus tells them, do not be tempted here in your attempt to f- stay awake and pray. What exactly is there to be tempted by here in this moment? See, because I, I think this is so critical to understanding what happens in these moments when a future wants to be birthed out of us. Because what Jesus is talking about is an internal state of the heart that they needed to be very aware of in this moment. See, I imagine that the subtext that Jesus was attempting to instill in them is this, watch and pray so that your desire and drive for comfort does not override the vision that you say you're committed to. Please be aware, because there will be a very strong temptation to deviate into a comfortable life rather than the life that you are actually called to step into. And I actually believe that this is the warning that Jesus still speaks into us today. See, this is, not, this is not an external temptation. This is not something or someone on the outside attempting to tempt them into something. See, I have found that in my life, the greatest temptations always come from within. The greatest temptations always are an internal state of being. See, when we find ourselves confronted by a future that God is calling us into, 
When suddenly we become aware that there is a, a more, an exponentially more beautiful tomorrow that he is calling us to create, a marriage that he is calling us into, a, a family relationship that he is calling us into, a financial future that he is calling us into, a way of seeing the world that he is calling us into, a ministry that he is calling us into. See, whenever God calls you into a God-sized future, it always seems impossible. It actually always seems way bigger than you could ever handle on your own. It's scary, it's upsetting, it makes you feel like you're off kilter, Make, might even want to throw up a little bit. <laughs> because when God brings you the future that he is calling you into, it is always, always impossible. And if it is possible for you, I can guarantee you, it's not God-sized vision. If you're living a life that is completely capable of being lived by yourself, I can guarantee you that you are outside of God's will. Because the second God calls you into this, it will always feel overwhelming because this is where God does his best work in us and through us is when it is impossible. When he calls us into a future that seems like it is completely incapable of us doing it on our own because that's where he gets to transform not only our relationship to him, but our relationship to others and our relationship to the world around us. Because we start seeing things differently in the impossible there. However, what I know to be true about human beings is that our natural tendency is to default towards what is comfortable, towards what is easy, towards what is predictable, to what we know that we are capable of and to know what's not going to get us into trouble and to know what's not going to cause us pain in the moment. Whatever's easy, whatever's predictable, whatever we can do on our own, we are driven towards those things. See, and, and we have this nice idea that there is a way to somehow preserve the version of me that is here and now. That the, that the version that, that is currently existing here in this place, the, the one that we are comfortable with, the habits that we've developed, the ways that we found ourselves, the rituals that we've developed, we think that there's a way to preserve that and have something new when they're actually diametrically opposed to one another. See, it's crazy to think that we can have something new and keep things predictable, easy, and comfortable. They actually are like oil and water. They do not work with one another. See, in order to have something brand new, it actually requires a death. It requires something to die for something to reborn. And let me just tell you, I am uncomfortable with that. There's something very uncomfortable about this process of dying and being reborn into something brand new. I remember a few years back, I started with this new personal trainer who worked, with, who worked out with me like on Mondays, and then I was in charge of my own workouts from Tuesday through Saturday. And so I got it on my schedule. Tell me if you've ever done this before. I got it on my schedule, all right, 6 a.m. Tuesday, 6 a.m. Wednesday, 6 a.m. Thursday. I got up Tuesday morning after our first workout, and I was like, oh, man, I got so much stuff to do today, so 6 a.m. is not going to work, Right? So I'm like, let me just get into, let me get in the office. I'm gonna get a few things done. And then I think two o'clock is actually a better time. And so two o'clock comes around and I have so much stuff to do. And I'm like, okay, two o'clock's not gonna work. Let me do six, right? So I can get off work. I can go to the gym. I can be home for dinner. We'll be fine. Five o'clock comes and I'm like, well, you know, I haven't been home with the kids. So I should probably get home. And I get home and I miss that day. And then the next day, 6 a.m. comes oh man, I got so much stuff on the calendar today. I, I, can to I will totally do this at three o'clock. And guess what happens at three o'clock? Nothing. And, and let me tell you, I went through the entire week doing that. 
thinking, how, how can I make this new thing fit into the old version of me? How can I make this new activity fit into the old version of Nathan? And by the time we got to the next Monday and my trainer confronted me with this reality, I was like, I don't know what happened. I, I literally had it on the calendar and then it didn't happen. Because, because there was a schedule that had to die. <laughs> there, there was an old version of Nathan that had to die in order to birth this new thing into the world. See, it's actually easy to criticize the disciples in this moment and think, how on earth could they have done this? Like, like Jesus needed them. Why could they not stay awake one hour in the middle of this? But consider how often we do the exact same thing. Consider how often God calls us into a new future and we get excited for the moment. And then when it comes time to actually pony up, to suffer through it, to transform into the new future, we're like, yeah, that's not too comfortable. That's not easy. That's not predictable. That's not what I've known. But consider that, that, that when God calls you into that, there is something that feels bigger than you. There is a bigger relationship. There is a bigger area of your finances. There is a bigger family. There is a bigger marriage. There is a bigger level of spirituality, career, startup. And think about what's being called out of you to make that happen. I mean, if, if you were just to pause right now and just to ask, what is the new thing that God is calling me into? Where is the area that God is speaking into? Like if he was to come and stand before you today and would say, hey, here's the new thing that I have for you, where would it be? My guess is that there's something that comes up almost immediately with you. I know it does with me. And if there isn't, you may have just trained yourself to tune that out. But I guarantee you that when God comes to us, there's always a level of excitement of this new future that he has for you. And whenever he comes, it always feels impossible. And so part of this is connecting to our own internal conversation about that future, our own relationship to that new thing that he is calling us into. And when we see that future that God is calling us into as impossible, our immediate default is to find a way out, to get out from under the weight, the suffering that comes with that. See, we feel the pain and the tension of the space between where I'm at and where God is inviting me into, and we will either step into it or we will cover it up and let it go. And those are usually the two places that we go as human beings. See, Jesus was experiencing the pain of the calling on his life in this moment. He, he was feeling the fullness of it. And what I love about Jesus is that he wasn't playing the, it's all good, cover it up, pretend it's not happening game. He was fully present with what was going on for him. He, he, he is like, look, I am suffering. And he actually talks to his father in this moment. And he says, if there is any other way, please let me know. If there is any other way to save humanity, if there is any other way to have this future happen, if there is any other path other than me suffering the most agonizing death on the cross, please let me know and I will do that. And see, oftentimes when God comes to us with that and we come back to him and we say, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way to have this marriage turn out? Is there any other way to have this new life be transformed? Is there any other way to step into this new relationship? Is there any other way to transform my finances? And then we count the cost and we quit because the cost is too high. It's going to cost us too much. 
See, we oftentimes ask that question, hey, is there any other way to determine if we're going to step into it? If we're going to actually commit ourselves to that future. But see, when Jesus asks, is there any other way? He was not asking that question to determine if he would step into that future. If he would commit to that. See, Jesus was actually saying, look, I'm going to do this. I am in 100%. I am committed to creating this future for the humanity and for the people that I love. And so he's saying, look, that's not on the table. This is actually happening here and now. And what he's saying in this moment is that my comfort is not as important as the future that you are calling me into, but I will count the cost. I will count the cost of what this is going to cost me in this moment, and I will enter into that pain knowing what it is going to cost me. See, so often we make this trade-off. We trade the future that God is calling us into for the alienation of stress. We trade the future that God is longing for us to have for the alienation of the anxiety of freedom. Just like, hey, how can I get out from under this anxiety? How can I get out from under this suffering? How can I get out from under this pain? How can I get out from what is required to have this future happen? And so we either release that calling and go back to what we know is uncomfortable, or we lower the calling and standard and wonder why we walk around at times unfulfilled. Why we wonder, where's the purpose in life? Like, where's the magic? Where's the hope? Where's the beauty that I long for so much? It's because God has called us there, and we are just unwilling to step into it fully. To own it and say, I know what it is going to cost me in this moment. And this is why the scriptures say, look, the spirit is willing. Your, your spirit actually knows that there is more. Your spirit actually knows that you were made for something bigger than this. Your spirit actually knows that there is a tomorrow that looks exponentially more profound than your future. But the flesh, it just longs for comfort. It longs to know what's predictable. It longs to know what's easy. It longs to know what the future is going to look like. And this is the temptation that we fall into. And I actually think this is why so many people are not living the life that they are called into. Not because God hasn't bought and paid for it and called us into it, but because we are unwilling to lay down our own need for comfort to step into the vision. See, the disciples owned a vision. Like, no, no joke, they owned a vision because they gave up so much for it. And compared to other people, they probably looked really good. I mean, here are these guys who had given up their careers and had left their families behind and had, had literally given up everything to follow Jesus. And I imagine people were looking at them going, that's pretty impressive. But the problem with owning a vision is that you can still let go of it when it's convenient. You can cuddle it and like pet it and show it off to people when you need to. You can use it to look good or to fulfill some type of insecurity inside of you. See, for the disciples, following Jesus was a really, really good idea. It was, it was like really good. They, they were so willing to do what it takes to make it happen until it cost them something important until it actually got down to what it really was going to cost to follow Jesus and to have this future turn out. 
See, on the contrary, where the disciples owned a vision, Jesus was owned by a vision. The vision owned him. That future owned him. When, when he looked out at humanity, he was like, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. This is happening. It doesn't matter what it costs me. It doesn't matter what I have to give up. It doesn't matter how much a fool I'm going to look. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable I'm going to get. It doesn't matter how unpredictable this is going to be. It doesn't matter how impossible this is going to look. The vision determined what he was going to do and what he was not going to do. It was calling the shots. The vision called him into the pain of the cross. The vision sustained him through the pain. So we often have nice ideas about what the future could be, but we are unwilling to be owned to be owned by a future, to be owned by a vision, to be owned by a calling, because if we are owned, it will cost us something, and it will usually cost us everything. And that is what we are called into. As we were worshiping this morning, I thought God was going to have me change my whole sermon. I'm glad he didn't. But what I heard God say during that song, This Is a Move, was this, is that, we as a community are about to be called into a very strategic future. And leaving this place is part of that strategic future. And what will be required for us as a community to birth that vision is to be owned by it. That, that it wouldn't be like a nice idea that we tack along all the other visions that we have like a nice, cute collection of visions, but that this would be it. That the future of humanity literally rides on our willingness to be owned by a vision, to see the lost sought, to see the kingdom of God fall here in the Pomona Valley as it is in heaven, to see lives transformed, to see people literally be changed in a new way, and if we are going to move forward, it cannot just be a nice idea. It cannot just be a really cool thing that we do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening or a Tuesday evening. And it will cost us dearly. As God told me that, I, I, was, I was writing on my iPad all this stuff down as, as I was getting it. And I found my pastor brain wanting to figure out how to soften that statement. <laughs> like, okay, God, I know it's going to cost us dearly, but it's not going to cost us. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's absolutely going to cost you that. Oh, but, but it's not going to cost us. No, 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 it's absolutely going to cost you that. But God, surely it wouldn't cost. Oh, no, absolutely it will cost you that. And he just said, look, if this cost me the life of my son, why would it be any different for you, my children? And so I began to get nervous, like, oh, God, I don't know if I'm up for calling a community into this type of sacrifice, <laughs> like into this type of, of space where it will cost us dearly. But it was almost like instantly in that second that he said, oh, no, 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 don't worry. They'll all get their lives back that they're looking for. We'll all get our lives back. Well, we will all find that life that we're longing for, that purpose that we're longing for, that mission that we're longing for. We will find it. And it was almost as if, oh, yeah, if we count the cost, then that future 
will be so exponentially more than whatever we paid for it. And don't worry, I'm not like Jim Jonesing anything. We're not taking Kool-Aid or anything. But it will cost us dearly to have that happen. And here's the beautiful thing, is that the future is already paid for. It's already paid for. The question is, are we willing to sacrifice, to birth it into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, with the people that we love most? Because in the kingdom of heaven, there is not just good ideas. There is only being owned by a vision for a future worth having. And Paul understood this concept in the scriptures. He's constantly being torn between what he longs to do and what he does. You know what I'm talking about? Like those moments where you're like, yes, let's take the hill. I'm going to do it. And then the next second you're like, nah, I'm good, right? (laughs) And, And Paul even understood this back and forth in these two directions towards what he longed for and what he hated. And he talks a lot about it in his scriptures. Do you ever hate the fact that you have this vision for a future and then you have this other vision that calls you into all these other squirrely things? right? I mean, it's funny how even in the language we use, we use words like, I hate that I overeat. I hate that I'm so shy. I hate that I get angry and say those things. I hate that I'm so disconnected from other people. I hate that I'm so fearful. I hate that I choose comfort. See, even the things that comfort us, we hate. (laughs) Even the things that we are choosing over the vision, we're like, why do I do this? This doesn't seem very helpful because there are these two laws that are at play constantly. There is this spirit of God that is calling us into this future and the spirit of this flesh that that is calling us into this smaller version and they compete with one another. It is this battle taking place in our minds. It is the thinking that keeps us from stepping into the future that he calls us into. And what I love is that Paul in the scriptures, he just constantly asserts like, I am helpless aside from Jesus. I am helpless this, this, living this out is absolutely impossible aside from an intervention from God himself to make this happen in the middle of this because it is him that is renewing his mind in the middle of this. See, we submit to allowing Jesus to transform our thinking about the future and what's possible and what he's calling into us and then we submit to being owned by a vision and our present and our future transforms in the middle of that. That's the moment where everything starts to click and momentum starts to happen. How many of you feel stuck in life? It's probably because God is saying, look, there's an area in your mind that I would love to transform so that you can actually see the possibilities for having this thing turn out, for having this tomorrow happen here and now. And Jesus takes all that law of sin and flesh and then he transforms it with the law of his spirits. And then Paul then describes it like this in Galatians 5.14. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbors as you love yourself. See, so often we are more clear about how the future and not stepping into it or stepping into it affects us. Like the disciples were clear, like, oh man, if I step into this, I might lose my fame, I might lose my power, I might lose my life, I might lose my family, I might be affected by this. They were unclear about how not stepping into this future would affect people and themselves. See, because don't kid yourself, there is a price to pay either way. There is a certain cost that comes with having a vision own you and stepping into it that will cost you dearly, but not stepping into that future will cost you dearly as well. Don't kid yourself. 
And it will cost you oftentimes way more for settling for what we know to be true and where we've been. See, because Jesus was clear about a humanity that would set people free. I don't know how clear these disciples were in this moment. See, when our future is just connected to us, and we're just looking inwardly about how this is going to impact me, how this is going to affect me, how this is going to make me feel in the moment. Yeah, comfort seems like a really good option to choose when things get really crazy or when things get pressed or when we come to the end of ourselves and we must rely on God to step into those moments. See, what moved Jesus to go through that suffering? What was it that Jesus was thinking about that that called him out from his comfort and into the cross. It was us. It was humanity. It was the world. And he said, of course, I, I have to. He was considering how this would affect the future of humanity, that it called him out into the suffering. It wasn't about him, but it was about the legacy that he was leaving. It was amazing how things transformed when Jackson was born for me. Because there were things before that were like, eh, this is optional. This future, like, it would be cool if this happened. And then the second Jackson was born, it was like, oh no, this has to happen. I have to straighten up. I have to get my life together. We have to get our act together. We have to get our finances together. We have to get our spirituality together. We have to figure this thing out because it is no longer just about me. It's about another human being over there. And see, the second that we connect that future with another and we recognize, oh, this is actually not about me. It actually has very little to do with my own personal comfort, my own personal pleasure, and my own personal fulfillment, and my own personal well-being. This is where things do get disconnect from just the self-help movement. See, the second we recognize that there are people hanging onto the end of our decision to be owned, everything changes. Because it no longer is just about me, and it's about the future of humanity. See, the question that we have to answer, the question that God is going to be asking all of us intently over the next few months is, are you willing to give up your comfort and be owned by a vision? Be owned by this future that God is calling you into and your community. Will you invest in the sting of a life lived mediocre? Will you invest in the sting of giving yourself over to the vision that Jesus is calling you into? Will you invest into the suffering that comes with being called into the vision? Will you be owned by it? Will you count the cost and find that life? There's another price to pay and you're more than willing to pay it. But what I long for us and am committed to as a community is for us to count the cost and to fully step into the future that God has called us to, being owned by it with every single part of our being. Let's pray. Jesus, we surrender. We surrender like the small, insignificant, comfortable, predictable versions of ourselves and our future, God. And God, I ask that you would give us like a holy discontent inside of us 
that, that would look at what we've been settling for and the comfort and the ease and the predictability and it would, be, it would become so repulsive, God. Not out of shame or judgment, but that it would just be like, this is no longer an attractive option for me. And God, would you speak to us so clearly? I ask this week, God, that every ear would be open to your voice as you start speaking out into lives about the future that you are calling them into. God, the future not just for them, but for their families and their friends and their coworkers and their neighbors and, and the people that are closest to them, God, that they would see, that we would see as a community, God, that it's not just about us, God, but that so many lives are on the line. God, may we be owned. May we be owned. God, and at the end of our days, may we say that we counted the cost and we stepped fully and passionately and powerfully into the future and the vision that you have called us to. May we leave nothing on the table, God. I thank you that you are the God who has bought all of it already. And may we fully own that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.